At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. Do you ever feel like the world is spinning out of control? Amidst the world's chaos and growing opposition to our faith, economic hardship, and overwhelming challenges, we can find inspiration from the story of Elijah in 1 Kings. Despite facing an angry king, severe drought, massive opposition, and depression, Elijah lived a powerful and impactful life for God. Join us for our series, Elijah, as we learn how the same God Elijah served can use us to live a life of impact for his kingdom. All right, this morning, if you have a Bible, electronic device, I'm going to encourage you to take it out and turn with me to 1 Kings chapter 19. 1 Kings chapter 19. As you're turning there, I wanted to just ask you this question. Have you ever been walking through life and things are fine and then all of a sudden something happens and it feels like you've just been punched in the gut? Never, it's never happened. Someone's blessed then. They're, uh, they're truly blessed. Or maybe, maybe you wouldn't describe it like that. Maybe, maybe everything's going great and things are just going fine and then all of a sudden life goes sideways. Or you're going through life and the wheels just begin to fall off and you're like, what's going on? Why is this happening? And sometimes we, we, we understand that that can happen when we make poor choices Right? When we start to, we, we openly sin or we openly go around directions, we know God doesn't want us to go, and then sometimes we hit bottom, and then we're like, okay, well, I deserve that. Right? that. That happens at times, where the Lord gets our attention, and we're like, okay, Lord, I'm sorry, I messed up, I shouldn't have gone down that way, but I willfully did. Now, Lord, please help me. That, that happens. But sometimes, life comes at us sideways, even when we're doing everything right. Has that ever happened to you? Like you're trying to honor God. You're, you're trying to follow him. You're trying to be obedient. You're like, Lord, here's my life. I've surrendered it completely to you. And then sometimes still horrible stuff happens. It's difficult in those moments to live. It's difficult in those moments to continue to walk in faith because it brings about emotion right we are people that feel things and sometimes we can say in our mind God, everything that God is doing is for our good everything that's good but sometimes life doesn't feel good what do we do in those moments when life doesn't feel good well today that's what I want us to talk about as we're continuing our series looking at the life of Elijah we've been walking through his life and, and the series title is Elijah a man like us and up until this point, you might have found it hard to identify yourself with the life of Elijah. Because remember, he was like this super saint that most people believe. Right? That he was, it felt like he had such a close relationship with the Lord. It's hard sometimes to say, well, I, my life's not like Elijah. But we know from the word of God and what James tells us is that Elijah was a man just like us. And so you may have found it difficult throughout this whole series to identify with Elijah. But today, I guarantee you you're gonna find it easy to identify with Elijah because Elijah is a man just like us. He was a man with feelings. He was a man that tried to honor the Lord with his life and he was a man that walked through difficult days 
because his perception of what God was going to do or what he thought God was doing was not exactly what God was doing. But we see that his faith was continued to be made whole as he walks through discouragement, as he walks through deep hurt, as he walks through deep, big, deep and big questions. So what we're going to see today as we come to this passage, we're going to see three truths, but under the idea that God's call on our lives conquers our self-pity and deep hurts. You know, when life, when life gets us, it's easy for us to, to go down a hole where we're like, no one loves me, no one cares about me, I'm the only one. And yet when we go down into that place, how do we allow the Lord to pull us out? And that's what we're going to see today. We're going to see three callings of God that helps us conquer our self-pity. Look with me in beginning in verse 1 of chapter 19. What we're going to see is that God calls us to himself. The first way to get out of that pit of self-pity or discouragement is to be reminded that God calls us to himself. Let's look at the text. Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a message to Elijah saying, So many gods do to me and more also, if I do not make your life as the life of one of those by this time tomorrow. Then he was afraid, and he arose and ran for his life and came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. And, and he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat under a broom tree. And he asked that he might die saying, It is enough now, O Lord, take my life away, for I am no better than my father's. And he lay down, and he slept under the broom tree. And behold, an angel touched him and said to him, Arise and eat. And he looked, and behold, there was a head of cake, or cake bake on hot stones and a jar of water. And he ate, and he drank, and he lied down again. And the angel of the Lord came again a second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, for your journey is too great for you. And he arose and ate and drank and went in the strength of that food 40 days and 40 nights to Horeb, the Mount of God. Now, if you haven't been here with us, you're like, okay, you're jumping in the middle of this narrative. I don't know what's going on. So let me get you up to speed uh, of, of kind of where we're at. Israel, God's chosen people, the nation had become corrupt. King Ahab was their king. And instead of worshiping God... Ahab turned the people of God because of Ahab's wife, Jezebel, to worship Baal. And so they worshiped Baal and they turned and they, they tore down the altars of God and erected the altars of Baal and God's people were corrupt. And this idol worship gets God's attention. So God comes to Elijah and says, hey, go to the king and tell him I'm, I'm done. Tell him that judgment's coming. So Elijah goes to the king and he says, King Ahab, for uh, I'm going to pray and it's not going to rain. And then I'm going to pray again and it's going to rain. And famine's coming in the land because God is displeased. You have disobeyed. You have turned away from God. And we see that what happens is the heavens dry up. The ground dries up and God provides for Elijah. He sends him out of the city so that he's, his life is spared. We see King Ahab continuing to, to follow idol worship, and God provides for Elijah. And then God calls Elijah to come back into town and tell, um, uh, tell the king that they're going to have this big uh, show-off 
about who, which God is greater. So the prophets of Baal and Elijah build altars. They call on their gods to see who is the greater God. We see that Baal's people crawl on him day in or for hours and hours and hours and nothing happens. And then Elijah simply prays and fire comes down from heaven and consumes the altar. And we see in a very visible way that the God of Israel is greater than any other God. And the hearts of the people turn back to God. But then Elijah sends Ahab uh, away and he goes back to the mountain. He begins to pray and he prays and he prays and he prays. And then God sends the rain. And then we see God's grace being extended to Ahab. Hoping that Ahab will turn back to God. And there's this extension of, of God's grace as the rain is coming. Forgiveness is available. And that's where we left off last week not knowing how Ahab will respond. And now we see how Ahab responds. Ahab has this opportunity, this invitation of God's grace saying, if you will turn back to me, then I'll heal your lands. I will make you my people. I will continue to show you my covenantal love. And we see that's not what happens. Instead, Ahab goes to his wife and tells him all the things that Elijah has done. And what does she do? She's like, okay, Elijah, I'm going to kill you. I'm swear, I'm making an oath that I'm going to kill you. And what does Elijah do? We see Elijah runs away. Because for the first time, Elijah feels. He's probably feeling the whole time, but we see into his heart. He's afraid. He's afraid afraid for his life and so what does he do he runs away it's almost as though we see elijah this faithful man to this point just going through the doors that god keeps opening he's like okay god i'm just i'm just here i'm your servant tell me where to go tell me what to do and he does and he walks through that door and then he walks through that door and then he walks through that door he's just simply obeying Stepping out in faith, and God is just providing. God is there every step of the way. And now Elijah's motions catch him off guard, and he feels fear. Fear is a powerful emotion. And let, let me remind you that emotions are gifts from the Lord because they remind us of our need. Emotions remind us that we are not self-sufficient, that we are not self-reliant. So even in this moment, Elijah feels fear. He's afraid because the future that he had in his mind, the outcome that he had in mind for what the future was going to look like is not a reality now. And now he doesn't know what is ahead. And so this emotion of fear also reminds him of his limitations because he's not all-knowing. He doesn't know, but he knows the one that does know. Elijah wasn't expecting this. Life's not playing out now how he had it in his mind. In his mind, he's like, okay, God, I follow you and I obey and then you do something amazing. I follow you and then I obey and now you do something amazing and now I've done everything that you wanted. I've done everything that you've wanted me to do. And he had every intention in his own mind. He had every expectation that Ahab would follow the pattern of even of the prophets of old. That when God shows up in a mighty way, the people of God turn back to God. And now, Ahab's not doing that. 
And so it catches him off guard, and now he's afraid because the future he had in mind is not going to happen. Not only does he feel fear, right? He, he feels fear, and so that causes him to run away into isolation, right? He's, he's running away. He's, he's hiding away because he doesn't want, because he, he can't handle the fact of the, this new reality is now becoming present. But then we also see that he feels a deep sadness, because in some way, he feels like God's plans are thwarted. So he's sad about the fact that, that God um, may not bring about the plans that Elijah thought would happen. And so Elijah feels, or self-pity then begins to enter into his heart. He feels like a failure. He feels like he's done something wrong. And I can only imagine as he's going a day's journey away, he's like, man, if I would have just done this, could I have just done something different? And he's in his head over and over and over again because he feels these deep, deep things. One um, theologian also says that what uh, Elijah is feeling right now is covenantal despair. Meaning that he sees the promises of God to his people where God says, I will be your God and you will be my people. I will protect you. I will provide for you. I will lead you. He sees that covenant coming into question. He sees that God may not be faithful to his promises. And so he's got all of these things going on in his heart and it causes him to be exhausted. So what does he do? He goes to a tree under a broom tree and he sleeps. But he's not alone. See it in the text? He's not alone. God is there. God knows. God sees every step that he's taking as he's trying to get away. He's trying to get in, into isolation. He's trying to get to a place where he's like, I, if I could just be by myself. And no, then he gets, as he's by himself, and the Lord comes to him, and he, in his own mind, he's like, if I would just die, it would be better for me to die. Because God can't fulfill his promises now because King Ahab is refusing to repent and so it's better for me to die. What is my, what is my life even worth? Have you been at that place in your life? You're like, man, I'm resonating with Elijah. I can feel what Elijah's feeling right now. I felt that many times in my life. You're like, it's just, I wish I would just die. And he's at a place of rest. And the Lord shows up through an angel. And the Lord provides for him. Gives him some food. Gives him some water. He goes back to sleep. And then the voice of the, of the Lord comes to him again. And says, Elijah, eat and drink because I've, I've got a journey for you. You, you got to go to Horeb. You got to go to the mountain of God. Now, you, you, you may not make the connection very simple, but this is the mount of God where God made promises to the nation of Israel with Moses. This is Mount Sinai where, where Moses got the Ten Commandments, right? This is where the covenant was made. And so what God is doing, he's saying, you need to go take the journey 40 days to the mountain where I, where I can remind you that I'm a God that makes promises and I'm a God that fulfills my promises. So he has to go. Even in his feelings, even in his wondering, is God still there? Elijah is not rejected by God. 
God is not rejecting him. God is calling him to himself. Because that's at the mountain that Moses met with God. And now it's at the mountain again where Elijah is going to be reminded that God is a covenantal God. God is a promise maker. God is a promise keeper. But he had to go the journey. He had to take the 40 days. I'm sure in those 40 days he's still questioning. He's like, God, are you going to show up? God, are you really there? Did did I mess up? So he's got all of this time these 40 days to journey where we don't hear the Lord speaking to him again, but we see him being obedient. If God is there, I'm going. And so he goes and he journeys there. You know, it's a, it's a funny thing in our lives, the way God has designed us. He, he's designed us in a, a very unique way when we, we have our heads in our minds where we, we think and we're rational about things and we can plan out things. And then he gives us our hearts where we feel things. And sometimes all of that gets discombobulated and sometimes we just don't know which way we're going because our hearts feel something, but then our heads say something different. And how does that all work? One of the illustrations I want to show you real quickly is really, really helped me keeping things in focus. Because there are some people in times in life, they're like, don't feel, conceal, don't feel, right? That's a popular song, right? You, you, we want to take our feelings and we want to shove them down so deep. We just don't want to feel. We just want to leave them away. And we just want to stay in our minds, right? That's how we, we operate a lot because feelings are messy. But I learned this years ago. It's a train, right? If the train's going to go on the tracks, this is the way it's supposed to operate, right? The, the train is driven by facts, right? Facts, the truth. The truth drives us. The truth gives us our direction. Faith is what feeds the power, right? So we're in the middle with our faith. We're giving coal to the steam engine, and it's giving us direction. And then our feelings are important because they come along. They're there. They're ever-present. Feelings should be present in your life. You should feel things, right? But, but they're not the other way around. Like imagine if we were to take the caboose feelings and put it where the steam engine is, right? And then our faith, we're trusting in our feelings. And so we're feeding our feelings and we're feeding our feelings. What's gonna happen to that train? It's gonna jump off track and it's not gonna know which way is right or left. It's not gonna go up or down. It's gonna go all over the place. Right? We're not to be driven by our feelings. We're to feel feelings, but we're to allow those feelings to be surrendered to truth. Right? I can feel all day long that the sky is purple. I can feel that. I feel that the sky is purple. It's purple. I can tell you. I can make postcards. I can make bumper stickers. I can make t-shirts to say the sky is purple. I can do all of those things, but none of that makes it actually a fact. So my feelings have to bow to facts, but I'm supposed to feel them at the same time. Does that make sense? And so we see Elijah right here in this moment. Feeling. Our feelings are best expressed in relationship, right? Because if you feel all by yourself and you keep your feelings to yourselves, the whole point of the feeling is to be able to say, hey, I need you, right? Like the feeling of loneliness is the the feeling of saying, hey, I need someone else in my life. I'm lonely for you. 
right? Sadness is to be expressed in relationship so that we can be consoled, so that we can come to a place of acceptance, feelings of hurt, feelings of anger. Feelings are to be expressed in relationship. And we see that the gifts that Elijah has, as he's feeling these feelings of sadness, is that these feelings of fear and sadness allow him to call, or for God to draw him closer. God's not done with Elijah. Elijah's not a failure. God is drawing Elijah to himself. I want you to know this, this to be true, is that God has not left you alone either. You see, God sent his son, Jesus, to reestablish the relationship with humanity. Right? Because of our sinfulness and because of our disobedience and because of rebellion against God, we stand condemned as an enemy of God because we have rejected God. But God loves us so much that he sends his son, Jesus, to be the, circuit, the perfect sacrifice. You see, Jesus never sinned. Jesus was completely obedient to the Father every step of the way. And Jesus goes to a cross to pay the penalty for sin. And by doing that, bringing reconciliation between a holy God and a sinful man by allowing his righteousness to be imparted to us that are sinful so that though we are not righteousness, Christ's righteousness allows us to be in right relationship with God. And that happens through faith. I love how Jesus says this in John chapter 6, verse 40. He says, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. And I will raise him up in the last day. See, it's this Lord that is calling. It's this Lord that is wooing. It's this Lord that calls us to himself. You see, no one can even come to Jesus and place faith in Jesus unless the Father is calling him. The Father's calling you. The Father's arms are open wide saying, children, come run to me. Run to me and I will give you rest. Run to me and I will give you restoration. Come to me and I will show you all the plans that I have for you. God has not left us alone. Jesus' death reconciles us to the Father and we receive this through faith and trusting in the truth of who Jesus is. And if you're here today and you're going through one of those seasons of life or when life hits you sideways, you know, the, one of the greatest things that you can do is immediately when you start to like question, doubt, fear, sadness, is draw close to the Lord. Don't keep those feelings to yourself. Like immediately begin walking in a relationship with the Lord saying, Lord, I feel this. I'm sad. Lord, I'm afraid of the future. I don't know what the future holds. That if we spend time with him walking into that relationship, we receive the gift of our feelings. You see, the gift of the feeling of fear is wisdom and faith. Right? Because we're, we're afraid, we feel afraid, we don't know the future. We spend time with the Lord and he reminds us, hey, guess what? I hold the future. And that gives us wisdom. 
and understanding that, hey, I know how it all, we already know how it ends. Right? Jesus comes back, and those who are with him reign with him for eternity in heaven. Those who are against him go to damnation in hell. Right? It's, it's, it's just that simple. And though the Bible even tells us it's going to look like Satan's winning for a long time. It's going to look like the world is ending and everything's going to pot. But God is saying, hey, no, I'm sitting on my throne. Meaning that he's sitting on his throne. He's not worrying about life. He's sitting down saying, hey, it, it, it's in motion. It's going to happen the way that I have made it happen. And so when we bring those feelings of fear to the Lord, the Lord reminds us who he is. And you know what? There's also a gift of sadness, which is acceptance. Right? When we feel sad about something that's lost, or we feel sad about what, what we thought was going to be is not, we, we go through the time and receive the gift of acceptance. It can still hurt, but we accept what it is. God begins to conquer our self-pity by calling us to himself. That's the first part. The second thing I want us to see is that God calls us to the truth. God calls us to the truth. Look at me in verse 9. It says, There he came to a cave and lodged in it. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, and he said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? And he said, I have been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword, and I, even I only, am left, and they seek my life to take it away. And the Lord said, go out, stand on the mountain before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by. A great and strong wind tore the mountains and broke the pieces of rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, the sound of a low whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And behold, there came a voice and said, What are you doing here, Elijah? He said, I have been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the people of Israel have forsaken your covenants, thrown down your altars, killed your prophets with the sword, and I, even I only am left, and they seek my life to take it away. Skip on down to verse 18. The Lord says, yes, I will leave 7,000 in Israel, all the knees that have not bowed to Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed them. So once we see that God is calling us to himself. God calls us to the truth. Right? Elijah comes to this mountain. He finds this cave and hoping to find lodging there. Maybe he wants to be a hermit for the rest of his life. Maybe he just wants to be alone. And he forgets what this mountain really is. This mountain is the place where God showed up and said, here's my covenant to you. I promise you these things. And Elijah is still all in his feelings. He's all in his feelings now. And he comes to the place where God comes to him and says, Elijah, what are you doing? And then we see Elijah express another emotion. It's the emotion of anger. He's angry. Because in his, his setting, he's the only one 
I'm the only one that's been faithful. Everyone else has turned. Everyone else has bowed down to Baal. Everyone else has built, tore down altars and built other altars. But I'm the only I, only I am alone. I'm the only one, Lord. I'm the only one. And what he's expressing is a feeling of anger, which is a feeling which is expressing deep passion. That's what anger is. Right, right, anger in itself is a passion and that, that's the gift of anger is passion. The impairment of anger is rage or it's depression, right, which we see him showing here. He's showing an impaired emotion of anger because it's leading him to depression instead of leading him to passion. Let me, let me explain this to you just for a moment. I think some of the most angry people, I can think of two really, really angry people in the world that expressed it in a beautiful way. Dr. Martin Luther King and Mother Teresa. Those were two of the angriest people that I've ever read about. Why? Because they were passionate about something. They saw injustice in the world and they stepped in and said, I'm angry for this, so I'm running after it because I can't stand to see this happen. See the gift of it? It's okay to be angry. But here we see Elijah's walking through this impairment of anger because it's leading to pride and depression. He says, all Israel's bound down. I'm the only one. I'm the only one. And then look at, see how God fights through this impairment with truth. What does he do? He says, go stand out on the mountain. You just need to see something. God shows his power through the strong wind, through the earthquake, through the fire. All of these things are under God's control. And then the voice of God, the small voice of God comes to Elijah. And what does Elijah do? What everyone does when they see God. They hide their face. Because God is too mighty. God is too overwhelming. God is so, if we get a glimpse of God, our only response is, I can't. Right? So Elijah's trying to hold his face, trying to hide his face. And then the voice comes to him again and says, Elijah, what are you, why are you here holding his face, hiding his face? He's like, I'm the only one. I am the only one. And how does God respond? Verse 18, I love it. He's like, you're not the only one, dude. I'm God. Like, you've you got to re realize you're not the only uh, arm, person in the army. You're not the only person, the people of God. He's like, I have a whole remnant there's a whole remnant of people. There are 7,000 of your brothers and sisters that have not bowed to Baal. You're not the only one. Do not forget, I am God, you are not. So be confronted with this truth. This is the truth that stands before you. You have, through your own life, you've begun telling yourself lies. You've listened to the lies of yourself and you've created your own narrative in your heart of all the lies that you tell yourself. And this is what God is saying to him. You're not the only one. And how, how deeply profound is that for us? What are the lies that you listen to? You're not good enough. God, God can't use you because of your past. No one can love you. You're not worthy of love. Right? You're only accepted because of what you do for people. Like all of these lies. What are the lies you tell yourself? Right? We, we tell ourselves these things and then they, they make us feel a certain way about ourselves and then they make us feel a certain way about God. 
And yet, we need to be confronted with what is true. When we're tempted to despair, when we're tempted to feel like a failure, when we're tempted to just say, to like throw in the towel, we need to surround ourselves with that which is true. Because if left alone, you're gonna tell yourself all kinds of lies. And yet we need the truth of the Lord. That's why it is important for, as a Christian man or woman, to be so close with the word of God. Why? Because we have to have our minds renewed. Because our feelings are good, but if they're not checked with truth, they'll lead us to self-destruction. I love what Paul writes in Romans chapter 12, verse one and two. He says this, I appeal to you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable God to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds, that by testing you may discern what the will of God is, what is good, acceptable, and perfect. We need our minds renewed. Right? We come and we lay ourselves down on the altar of God, say, God, here's my life. Use me however you want to. That's a spiritual act of worship. And then we need our minds renewed. We don't need to be conformed to the world, but be transformed with the renewing of our mind so that we can know what God's will is for our lives. So that we can know how God wants us to walk, how God wants us to live, how God wants us to move. Being reminded of the truth of God and what he has done is important. Coming to the word of God to seeing his faithfulness unfold and his grace is important. But I also want you to know that worship is another powerful weapon to fight lies, right? God's given us the gift of prayer, which we looked at last week. God's given us the gift of his word to help us walk in, in truth and to know truth. And God's given us worship as a way to express as in worship, we're, we're calling God and we're reminding ourselves about who he is. He is holy, he is high and lifted up. He is faithful through all generations, right? He is all those things. And so he's given us all these gifts. God has also given us the gift of each other, right? You're not meant to live your Christian life in isolation either. We, we need each other in life, doing life. And the way we do that here at Woodside is through life groups. It's impossible for you to fully be known on Sunday morning, right? Look around, how many of the people in this place do you really know? Like how many people in this place really know your birthday? How many people in this place really know what you like or what you're afraid of? Or how many people in this place right now know the difficulties that you went through this week? Probably not a whole lot, unless you're part of a life group. Because I can look out in the life of some of you, and I know what this week's been like. Some of you with your calls or your texts, or you're like, hey, pastor, can you pray for me? Hey, I'm going through this difficult time. Like, we're in relationship together. And being a part of a life group is one of the greatest ways to be known here. So if you're not involved in a life group, get involved in a life group. You can go on a website and find um, opportunities uh, for life groups that are in our area, but also you can connect with Pastor Tyler, and he would love to share with you how you can get connected. So God calls us to himself, God calls us to the truth, and then finally God calls us to serve. Look in verse 15. It says, And the Lord said to him, Go return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus. And when you arrive, you shall, you shall anoint Hazael 
to be king over Syria, and Jehu, the son of Nimshi, you shall anoint to be king over Israel, and Elijah, the son of Saphat, of Abel-Maloh, you shall anoint to be prophet in your place. And the one who escapes from the sword of Hazael shall Jehu put to death, and the one who escapes from the sword of Jehu shall Elijah put to death. So God is responding here again to Elijah's repeated declaration that I'm the only one by mobilizing Elijah to get back to work. God is telling Elijah, I'm not done with you yet. I've got work for you to do. I'm not done with you yet. I'm not done with Israel yet. And by telling him exactly what to do to go and to, to anoint this king and anoint this king and then, then to call on the next prophet, is he saying, Elijah, my covenant is going on. My plans are continuing and it's not in the way that you want. It, it's not gonna be in the pretty little picture that you had. I, I, I gotta get Ahab and I gotta get Israel back on their knees. I, I gotta do that and he's gonna do that, but I'm not gonna do it through you. One of the greatest things that we can do when after feeling senses of despair or feeling as though we, we go through the difficulties of life is sometimes we can go through and have some emotional paralysis. Right, where we just, we're like, I just don't feel like doing anything. I just, every, all my hopes and dreams are now shattered and I just don't want to do anything. The way we defeat that is through serving, getting back to work, being reminded that God has work for us, that God has his plans and he wants to use us to glorify him. He, he's not done with, in, until you stop breathing, God wants to use you. Right, Elijah wanted to just be put on the shelf. He's like, okay, God, it, it's done, I'm done, everything's done, all the plans, everything's, everything's trashed. Like, just don't use me. I, I, I just want to stay here and die. And God's like, no, no, I'm not putting you on a shelf. Like, there's work to be done. Like, I, I, I got this thing that I'm doing. Like, I'm redeeming the world. Like, I'm, I'm doing this great thing, and I'm using you, but I'm using you in a way that you don't want, you didn't want to be used. And see that I'm God. So I, you go and get this king, go and get this king, go and get this prophet, because I'm still working. I'm still active. I'm still doing these things. So as followers of Jesus, remember, we're called to go and to serve. Right? You're called to serve. You're called to not just sit in your head, not just sit in your feelings, but you're called to go and to do the work of ministry. Remember Jesus says this, go and make disciples of all nations. Right, that's to you. That's to me. That's what we're called to do. And whether you do it through the thrift closet, the food pantry, through kids ministry, through being a missionary, through being a pastor, whatever, you're called to go. And you're called to serve, to expand the kingdom of God through faithfully serving. We serve in the local church, make disciples of all nations. We get to work. We get to work. Maybe you're here today and 
you've gone through a difficult time. Maybe, maybe the Lord didn't show up in your life like you wanted him to. Maybe you've been praying for something years over years and years and years and years and, and you, you expected God to do something the way you wanted him to do it and he didn't show up and you're like, okay, I'm out. And you've put yourself on that shelf. And you're like, you're, like, you're still going through the motions. You're like, yeah, I, I know that God is God. I know I don't want to go to hell, but I also don't want to do this, like, I don't want to do this Christian life thing anymore. It's too painful. It's too difficult. It's too hard. Maybe today you need to be reminded it's time to get off the shelf. It's time to surrender yourself once again at the altar saying, Lord, I'm sorry, but here's my life. Use me once again. Use me once again. Use me once again. Or maybe you're here and you've never come to know Christ. You're, you're still at that place where you're like, I've been doing this all on my own. Today you can come to Jesus, give him your life, and he'll pick you up, and he'll set you on the right path. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your words of truth today. Father, we thank you. God, I just want to thank you for the gift of feelings. Man, we know we're not supposed to be led by them, but they are a gift. And so, Father, I pray that today, that in our feelings, we would always bring them to you. We would always begin at that place by saying, Lord, I feel this way. Show me your truth. Because we thank you, God, that you call us to yourself. And when we're with you, you show us what is true. You realign our minds. You realign our hearts. And then you reposition us to go back out again. And Father, that's not a process that happens one time, but it's a process that we have to do almost every day of our lives. Father, help us to be active like that as you were in Elijah's life. Draw us to yourself, show us your truth, and then get us back out there. Because we live in a world where people are broken we live in a world where people are hurting. We live in a world where there's so much confusion. And Father, this is not a time for us to be silent. This is not a time for us to be afraid and to shrink back in fear. But this is a time for us to be angry. Angry for your righteousness. Angry for your kingdom to come. Angry for healing to come. And you do it through us. So, Father, today I pray that we would surrender once again to your ministry, once again to your mission, and would we walk in faithfulness. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself today.